Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. What's inheriting wealth, my southern landed gentry? I don't know. I don't know. This that's not a great, not a great intro. Uh, but anyway, Harry, prop, welcome back. How are we feeling? Feeling good, man. Third cup of coffee. We're back in the game. Yeah, ready to yeah. ride. Got some banana chips. Yeah, a little plantain. Good. That'll make everybody forget my dog shit introduction for this. Speaking of dog shit, you know what college is dog shit prop? What college is dog shit? West Point. Man, just Mm -hmm. a whole pile of perro caca. (laughs) (gasps) I mean, I don't know. I don't know much about the actual objective. I'm sure Uh, it's fine. Yeah, the only thing I know about West Point is like what's in the movies. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and Army College. It's a you know it's important to note like the reputation it has today is largely formed by uh, they call it the class the stars fell on. It was the the West Point graduating class that had like Patton and Omar Bradley and I think Eisenhower, like Word. all of the all these guys who were like real big world dub dub dose fellas. Yeah. Like we're in the same class now. Uh, it's one of those things where like West Point today, it's the place where the U.S. military trains its most promising or if you talk to enlisted men, it's most frustrating officers. Right. Yeah. Um, in the early 1800s, when young Bobby Lee became a cadet, West Point was a lot smaller and like the country's not very old. So mm-hmm. it doesn't have a huge proud history. And it is extremely focused on one narrow sort of education, engineering. Right. Okay. It is probably the best engineering school in the country. So when you think about West Point of Robert E. Lee's day, it's closer to MIT than the way we think about West Point Mm. now, right? Mm -hmm. And this makes a lot of sense if you understand 19th century warfare. Today, a huge amount of modern war fighting is like small unit tactics, right? Yeah. How infantry clears buildings and like engages in firefights, does all this stuff because with modern equipment and weaponry, all the different, the wide variety, everything from drones and rocket launchers to like standard small arms, there's a lot for for small units to do. And a lot of shit revolves around that. So that's going to be a significant amount of training for any army officer. Back in this day, 
especially when Lee's in it, it's pretty much all smooth bores, right? So it's these muskets mm. that they only really are very effective when you have a bunch of people all like marching and firing in unison. So yeah. there's not a lot for you to teach someone about like <laughs> – other than how to reload quickly about like yeah. how to be a trooper in a formation beyond like yeah. marching and stuff. So if yeah, you want to point teach people it that to be, way, point the yeah. gun that way. Yeah. If you're teaching people to be an officer, though, you want to teach them a lot about engineering and mathematics, about like the way in which things move, about physics. Mm -hmm. You want to be so that they can both know how artillery would work, where to position them, how to fire them, how to how to wield these blocks of men and have them like mm -hmm. fi fire in ways that's going to be effective. Like that's all mm -hmm. engineering is kind of the US makes this decision pretty early on that like engineering is what's going to make our officers effective. Um, and this is actually historically a good bet. You know, people, hmm. the Roman Empire, people talk a lot about, you know, every aspect but this, but like the the reason the Ro Rome became an empire was not because its soldiers were like great individual fighters. It's yeah. because every soldier in the Roman legions was a combat engineer. Yeah. And like, that's fucking useful. You know, yeah, they made roads <laughs> like, and bridges. Like, the, scr the scrub way to fight a war is stabbing another dude. The smart yeah. way to fight a war is building a wall around him and starving him to death. Like, yeah. yeah. A dude that a dude that gets to like a lake or a river and thinks, man, how are we going to get across that? And then they look yeah. to a dude and it's like, we're going to build a bridge. All We're right, going to build a fucking build a bridge. bridge across yeah, that. Yeah, you just build yeah. a bridge? Like, yeah. Not yeah. just knocking down a tree and walking over the plane. No, we're going to build a bridge. Yeah. And the yeah. U.S. at this point is an infant empire, and it sees itself very much cut in the image of the old Roman Republic, which is another mm -hmm. reason why all of these guys are engineers, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's going to be the shit that, like, Lee does. He's going to army nerd school, and he does really well there. He's a great student. He's not the best in his class, but he's very close to it. Yeah. Um, he's also the most boring boy in the whole school. Uh, he didn't drink. <laughs> he didn't gamble. He didn't, like, have fun. Um, oh, my God. He graduates second from his class, and he's one of only six students in the, his graduating class that never receives a demerit. Um, he gets the nickname oh the Marvel. Model as a result Mr. of perfect this. attendance. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He gets an attendance <laughs> award. Yeah. And, and he gets called Marble Model a lot. And what they're saying there is that, like, it, this is both like, yeah, it's kind of, he's kind of like, exhausting and and boring but also like he is a good soldier he's a reliable guy so mm -hmm. like people find him like make fun of him a little bit but he also is generally liked because you can you can trust lee to do his job yeah right? he's 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 a, he's definitely a hall monitor but yeah, yeah. if we were stuck outside you want him with him because nigga can follow directions and we'd be yes. all right Yes. Yeah. And he's he's competent. He knows yeah. like how to do shit. Right. Yeah. Um, the mother of one of his peers found herself surprised that after meeting him, he was very human is what she describes. <laughs> so that should give you some insight into how his classmates wrote home about him to their family. Oh, that right? is Turns so out funny. <laughs> yeah. Yo, yeah. Yo, oh, he's wow. He's a human. That. I didn't <laughs> think he would breathe. <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. How much shade is it when your the homie's mama like yeah. it's like wow. I don't know. I thought he was a little weirdo. Turns out like he's a regular kid. Like, yeah, he's okay. a nice enough guy. I didn't Turns expect like nice that. Kid. Yeah, I, that's yeah. so funny. Yeah, damn, um, your it, mom it, throwing shade. Yeah. <laughs> Later in life, one friend of the Lee family would state that she knew Robert's brother Smithley well, but she writes, "Quote: Can anybody say they know his brother? I doubt it. He looks so cold and quiet and grand, mm. and that's." Very common from people talking about Bobby Lee, mm. right? He is 
perfectly polite. He is, has a, a, impeccable manners. He is the studious embodiment of Southern gentility. And he plays his emotions so close to the chest that nobody, people don't really, everyone's kind of confused as like, is he just hiding his true self for politess yeah. or is there nothing inside of him really? Yeah. Right. Like I know that, some, I know some street dudes like that. Like yeah. I have a, there, I have a friend who even his closest friends, like we've sat down like at a bar or something and been like, yeah, I don't actually know him. And they're yeah. like, we've, we met in middle school mm-hmm. and they're like, I, I honestly are like, I'm not sure I know him. Yeah. Like just, they just keep, yeah. they play their cards close. You know? I've known yeah. this man 20 years and I can't I'm, say anything, but that he's always on time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> that's that's kind of how people yeah. talk about Robert E. Lee. Yeah. Now, they also very frequently will call him hot. Uh, he is repeatedly described as like being good sale, looking. Okay. One family friend uh, called him on the whole, the handsomest young man I ever saw. Um, he probably like, you know, he ain't, he ain't like, like road worn cause he don't drink. So he probably he got that drink, baby yeah. skin. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. He not doing drugs. So he ain't got no wrinkles. Uh, you feel me? He had all his stress when he was a child. Yeah. He was like, I'm done with this stress. Yeah. He's the only yeah. man in the 1800s who ages like someone from the 21st century. <laughs> yeah. But it is noted that like he doesn't go gray until the Civil War. Um, wow. The, yeah. Now he got some stress. Now he's got some stress. Yeah. So when you read through different bits of the multiple books about Lee, as I have, you encounter repeatedly people talking about how hot he was. And it, it's sort of like how Kissinger's a sex symbol. And that's well known at the time. Yeah. Um, but then in modern days because he's like this old goblin of a man like you don't really real it's surprising when you read it and this paragraph from smithsonian magazine summarizes the phenomenon of hot lee well his hair was ebon and abundant as his doting biography douglas freeman puts it with a wave that a woman might have envied a robust black mustache a strong full mouth and chin unobscured by any beard (laughs) and dark mercurial brows he was not one to hide his looks under a bushel his heart on the other hand Hand, the heart he kept locked away, as Stephen Vincent Binet proclaimed yes. in John Brown's body, from all the picklocks of biographers. Yes. <laughs> Such yeah. a horny way to describe yes, this man. He was just so hot Come and on. mysterious. He was so mysterious. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't know what's going on. Putting it on a little and, strong. <laughs> and a boy, and a boy got a baby face. Like I said, mm-hmm. it wasn't hidden by a beard, and that yeah. helps. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Well, you, you looking around, everybody else look like uh silverback gorillas. <laughs> you know, he out here with a baby face, you know? Yeah. So when he he finally does marry, and he doesn't like flirt or pursue anybody, at least not on record. He is very chaste. Um, he marries right after graduation, a woman named Mary Custis. Um, they had been sweetheart, I, not even sweethearts, for, they had known each other basically their whole lives since childhood. I don't know if he was really in love with her the whole time or if it was more that he was in love with with her family legacy because she is mm. the great granddaughter of Martha Washington. So mm. she's descended from from or related to George Washington, right? And Lee again, George Washington is like the guy he idealizes particularly compared to his shameful father, right? His father is like the warning sign, Washington is the model he wants to follow. And so okay. I you get the feeling part of why he marries Mary Custis is like he wants that Washington legacy 
to be a part of him, mm-hmm. right? Maybe yeah. to wipe away some of his father's shame. Yeah. In the 1969 Lost Cause history book, Meet Robert E. Lee, uh, it rather humorously stated, Robert E. Lee was the last great man of old Virginia. In many ways, he was closer to his hero, George Washington, than he was to the men of his own time. <laughs> In literal, because he, 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 yeah. he basically wants to fuck George Washington, right? Like, that's what's like going it. on here. Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm going to um, change my legacy. Like, I don't want the yeah. legacy to be all, uh, oh, no money. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Broke-ass Lee. Exactly. Like I'm, with, I'm with this nigga. Yeah. Exactly. So they had known each other since they, yeah, since they were kids. They, one thing I'll say for him, they're like the same age. They're born the same year, hmm. which is pretty good for high society marriages of this period. So congratulations, Robert E. Lee. You get the coveted Behind the Bastards, not a pedophile award. Let's we go. Are, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a proud honor. Very rarely handed out. Yeah. We, are, we are mailing your last descendant, a gold medallion with the words, I don't diddle kids written on it. So. Let's go you know congratulations, congratulations that's a real bro. honor for the family yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's big that's big it's huge, huge. that's really big man because there's a lot of listen there's a lot of things we can say about you and we will but mm-hmm. you do like them your own not, age yeah not a I child molester that. yes <laughs> so good for you robert yes <laughs> so The Custis family were significantly wealthier than the Lees, uh, and Mary's father is understandably, he never really trusts Robert E. Lee in his whole life. Not because Lee does anything wrong, but because of how bad his father was, which not necessarily an irresponsible decision, right? Yeah, no, I get it. (laughs) Now, that said... George Washington Park Custis, Mary's dad, is also a huge piece of shit. Uh, For one thing, he owns some 200 enslaved people. And he's like Thomas Jefferson. He's one of these guys who who is vocally anti-slavery while owning a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. And like Thomas Jefferson, he has children with a lot of his slave people, right? Yeah, this is rape, right? Like, that's the only way to look at this. Alan Guelzo writes... The elder Custis, burdened with his own private guilt over slavery, had been, quote, an easygoing master, requiring little of his slaves, especially because it was rumored that over the years he had fathered 15 of them. Good God. Here's the thing, man. Look, I don't know if there's anything I hate more besides, like, just the institution of slavery, but the defense that, like, but he was, like, a nice one, though. Yeah. Like he was kind of nice to his like I don't know if I I don't know if anything makes me want to like flip a table more than that answer. Yeah, I, I think you know it's it's worth understanding the difference between quote unquote nice and mean slave owners for understanding the lives of slaves, but not yeah. for making a moral decision about yeah. those slave owners. It's it's yeah. under it, it's it's actually very similar to like when you read Holocaust memoirs from survivors of Auschwitz. They will talk about like, well, these guys, these member, this particular member of the SS was polite to us. He treated yeah. me relative and I was able to get stuff out of him to help. Yeah. I was able to get food or whatnot out of him. Yeah. That doesn't mean that guy was a he was still a concentration yeah, camp guard. Yeah, it's like, right? like Yeah. Okay, yeah. you know, I appreciate you pulling yeah. the fly out yeah. of the rat poison you're about yeah. to feed me. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. It's yes. worth understanding because, again, if you want to understand the lives of these enslaved people, sure. If you're if you're with a guy like this who is like less like violent and and shitty, then like you can maybe work a better, get more freedom, get more personal liberty. But like that does not reflect still morally very much, on the yeah, slave. It's still owner. very much. Yeah. I might have got a little head, but I wasn't yeah. cheating. 
you know, which is like in one of the upcoming hood politics episodes, like we're talking about the international court for justice. And like, that's like BB Netanyahu's like argument to where it's like, well, I don't know if it's like genocide, genocide, you know, or it's like, eh, maybe it's not like air quotes, genocide, like, you know, it's it's just a little bit ahead. You know, I wasn't really cheating. It's like, fam. Fam. It's only genocide if it comes from the genocide region of France. Otherwise, it's just a sparkling massacre. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. I was like, well, you know what, though? But we didn't really, like, beat our slaves. Yeah. So, exactly. it's a little different. Yeah. No, I'm good. Yeah. The, these people. Um, yeah. So, he is eventually kind of is won over by Robert E. Lee, although never mm-hmm. entirely. Uh, Lee takes an absence, a brief absence from his his time as a lieutenant to have his honeymoon. And okay. then he's sent to Hampton Roads, which is a port on the Virginia coast. And it had a bunch of fortifications, but they, they looked like shit. And he's going to like renovate the fortifications. On his honeymoon? No, right after. Right oh, after. I was like, yeah. I was I was hoping that this train of thought wasn't going to lead no, to no, his no. like sexual prowess. No, no. But um, uh, nothing about that. I assume he was Lord. bad at sex. Hallelujah. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. He spends the first four years of his career like reinforcing these fortifications at Hampton Roads. Mm-hmm. And the only interesting thing that happens in that period is that there's an insurrection by enslaved Americans in Southampton. This is the Nat Turner Rebellion, right? Let's go. Um, he Lee was does, over there then? No, he's not involved in it, but it okay. happens near enough. And it, it's 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 relevant because he, 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 again, doesn't do anything in this. Yeah. But he writes about it to his mother-in-law. And the single paragraph we get of him writing about Nat Turner's rebellion is one of the bleakest and most infuriating things I've ever read. And I'm going to read this to you now, Prop. It is ascertained that they use their religious assemblies, which ought to have been devoted to better purposes, for forming and maturing their plans, and that their preachers were the leading men. And first off, I'll say, I don't know, just remembering the Old Testament, I feel like slaves using their religious services to plan rebellion is actually very biblical. I was like, I don't know, man. Like, if you're actually reading the book, that's... Pretty on par. That's feel like that happens what, what a couple times. To do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he continues. A man belonging to a Mrs. Whitehead and one of their preachers was the chief under the title of Major Nelson, and his first act was to kill his mistress, five children, and one grandchild. However, there are many instances of their defending their masters, and one poor fellow from the inconsiderate and almost unwarrantable haste of the whites was sadly rewarded. He belonged to a Mr. Blunt, and himself and two others, assisted by his master and his son, nobly fought with them against twenty of the blacks. After beating them off and running in great haste after horses for them to escape on, a party of whites suddenly came up and, thinking the horses were for other purposes, shot him dead. Mm. So, he's talking about here that some of the enslaved black people fought alongside their white masters against this slave uprising. And he's yeah. like, and then they got killed by white people who just like shot first and asked questions later because they were yeah. spooked and killing every black person they saw, which you would think might cause a man to consider like the overall evil of the system yeah. that he lived. But, but Lee does not. Lee does not. Yeah. yeah. No, it's just because gravity works the way gravity works. Yeah. So like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. I, as a funny side note, in junior high, I left L.A., went to a middle school in the suburbs in the Inland Empire. And then my parents split and I went back to L.A. But anyway, but in middle school, I was in the burbs. Like, and it was probably the most like concentrated amount of white people I've ever seen in my life. Like, you know, and 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 I'm saying this like, like strictly from a like 
anthropological perspective, like not even a not even a statement on its culture. Cause I just I just wasn't familiar with white culture at the time. You know what I'm saying? Like I just didn't, it just wasn't my world. I just knew I went to this, to this middle school and we had to do a historical persons report. Yeah. I did it on Nat Turner. Oh shit. And at no point did it cross my mind that this world of white people would have an issue of that. Like, I just, I never thought about it. Now as an adult, I'm like, dude, I can imagine, like I'm putting myself in like poor old, you know, Miss Dorst, my, <laughs> my seventh grade <laughs> history teacher. I walk in with this, with this book report on Nat Turner and she looking at me at like, one of seven Ooh. black people in yeah. a 50 mile radius. And I walk in with this report on a slave rebellion, how she, I just wonder what was going through her head at the time that yeah, everybody else is doing book reports on normal stuff, but I did it on Nat Turner. And now as an adult, I'm like, I would have loved that if I went to this suburban school and this little boy walk in yeah. with a report on Nat Turner. And I was, and I just no concept that anyone else would view this as any different than I and my family view it. I'm like, what are you talking about? This guy's a hero. You know, like, I yeah, just, yeah. It, it's, yeah. It's one of those things, obviously, like, you know, what, what Lee says there is not wrong. Like the, like children were killed during the yes. uprising. And my stance on this, I'm, it's, it's similar to how I feel about the killing of the czar and his family. Yeah. Children never deserve to be murdered. True. That is not their fault. The children and? of slave owners and czars are not. Yeah guilty but i put the blame for their deaths on the the adult slave owners and yes. the adult czar and his wife not on the enslaved people who felt like they had no other option yes right yeah you have institutionally put your children in danger by allowing and upholding this institution that will invariably like you said yeah. cause a person to respond the way they have yeah 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 and it's you know we we can talk more like the czar's situation is obviously more complicated. There is some blame you can give to some of the other people in that. Yeah. But like in the case of Nat Turner, what else? What else was well, he I mean, to well, do? What was you the know? other option? Yeah. 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 Um, anyway. So after this, uh, Lee is sent to work in D.C., which enables him to live in Arlington for the first time. Um, this is basically the first time in his pre-war adult life that he spends any time at this Arlington, this like plantation that he gets, you know, with his wife is um. Like, like this is a huge part of the Lee myth that this is this was what in his bones this was his home. Mm. Like this, he he had such a deep connection. He barely spends any fucking time there in Arlington, um, right? Yeah, in Arlington. Yeah. Like uh -huh. basically, this period of time where he's working in D.C. is one of the only times in his adult life where he spends significant periods of time at Arlington. Mm -hmm. Now, this is handy. He spends some some time like commuting to work in D.C. by carriage. Uh, it's helpful because he's close while his mom is sick. She probably has tuberculosis because that's mm -hmm. what kills everybody in the olden mm -hmm. days. Yeah. Lee reverts to being her caretaker. He mixes her medicine. He's a he's a dedicated good boy, right? Yeah. The story is somewhat less heartwarming when you learn that Anne spends her last days revising her will uh, in which she gives away several human beings, including children. Um, her daughter, also named Anne, inherited, quote, my maidservant, Charlotte, and her child, along with Keziah, William, and Betsy, along with my set of white tea china, my wardrobe, two of my best tablecloths, and one half of my family napkins and wearing apparel. So again- all in the same sentence. Yeah, yeah. Children, the same sentence, adults, dude. and a yeah. china set, all the same type of thing to them. On the same level. Yeah. Also, I think uh, 
Virginia as a West Coaster, you know, and my mom's from DC. So like I, mm. I viewed like Virginia is like, it, it, it honestly feels like two different states. And I'm not yeah. meaning like Virginia and West Virginia. I mean, Virginia itself, because there's the Virginia that's basically just Southern Washington, DC. And then there's the Virginia that had plantations. Like, and it's, it still like shakes my brain. Cause I'm like, I still see Virginia as East coast rather than Southern. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, when you say like Alexandria, Richmond, I'm like mm-hmm. the Ronald Reagan's airport yeah. is in Virginia. It's, it's interesting. Cause like you get a lot of, there's people will argue very strenuously that like, yeah, Virginia is part of the South, but Texas really isn't, you know, it's, it's Stuff its like own that. thing or it's yeah. part of the West. And like, yeah. there's actually some validity behind that, like culturally, historically, yeah. but like, I, I think they are both part of the South. Um, Virginia is now like certainly like has like elements of, I don't know. It's, it's weird. Like the, the, it's not yeah. worth getting into right now, but no, yeah, I guess, I guess my question would be like, uh, cause it was, I was leading to a question, I think, but like, so obviously if he works in DC, he's in the more, and we're still talking about a slave state, but he's yeah. in one that's more closer to city life rather than, yes, agricultural yes. now yeah 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 and he, he's yeah. he's kind of commuting from this semi this agricultural uh plantation into dc because arlington yeah. is kind of in the heights above dc Where, like one yeah. of the th- reasons that like the union will go after it early in the civil war is you can shell dc from arlington yeah. so he's yeah. not far away no it's pretty close yeah. yeah now the lee boys aren't named as being given any enslaved people um it's not in the will but they actually seem to have inherited some it's just not it, it, i guess for whatever reason she didn't think it was worth writing in the will mm-hmm. biographer alan guelzo has noted that the lee boys definitely inherited who he describes as quote one unitemized slave family i don't know if they were like kind of cheating so that they didn't have to pay as much inheritance tax it's it's weird like i don't know why they wouldn't have been listed but in 1835 robert e lee wrote that he owned mrs sally diggs mrs nancy ruffin and her three illegitimate pledges no men are named, which is undoubtedly evidence that a family was forcibly broken up. I of guess course, it's possible yeah. the men died early, right? That's not, uh, given the time, not impossible, but yeah. it seems likely that families were broken up as a result of this inheritance, which happens a lot. In 1835, Lee is sent to St. Louis on a mission to literally defy God. For years, it had been clear that the Mississippi River was shifting. And mm-hmm. so there's all this like port infrastructure in St. Louis that will be useless if the river shifts to be over in Illinois. Um, <laughs> so Lee has to do basically the equivalent of spritzing the Mississippi's nose with water until it Sheesh. learns not to like risk the future economic Sheesh. viability of Missouri. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's funny. Really thumbing your nose in God's eye. Mr. Southern Genteel. <laughs> yeah. Episcopal. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have mentioned that one of my sources for these episodes is General Lee, a biography by Fitzhugh Lee. Now, this is not a good source in that it is not a reputable, unbiased, historic account of Lee, but mm-hmm. it is a good source in that it was written in like 1896 by his family. And because of the era it's in, it includes some fucked up shit that I think would have been edited out by like a lost cause pop historian today. But that you do get when you read through this draft. And while churning through much of this otherwise interminable book, I found another letter Lee sent back to one of his cousins where he comments on a local rumor by using 
using a casual racial slur. We live in a credulous country where people stick at nothing from a C-word story to a sea serpent. And, mm. you know, the the C-word is like, it's a, it's a slang term for black people using like, talking about like raccoons, right? Yeah, like that's yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm bringing this up because this is like the use of a slur in a letter considering Robert E. Lee's actual crimes on the lower list of his yeah, horrible sure. things he did. But for sure. I'm bringing this up because casual and lost cause histories of the man love to emphasize how much he hated slavery, called it a moral evil, and would have been willing to free his own slaves to keep the union together. He did yeah. express variants of those sentiments, but he also regularly expressed very casual, hateful racism like yeah. this, right? It is all yeah. over his letters. It is undeniable. And I think that ugliness yeah. is important to get out. It's not just that he was willing to fight for slavery. He fully bought into the racial hierarchy and and the casual distaste yeah. and hatred even for black people. That was Yeah, that it the was reality of like it – to mm -hmm. put yourself in the time to understand that like they saw this as like, this is settled science in the yes. same way that we understand that the earth revolves around the sun. That is settled yes. science. Yes. That is how it works. So race science for them is like, no, this is, it's settled. This is the yeah. science. We are biologically superior. So like, I, what do you, it's settled. Like, I, what are we arguing about? You know what I'm saying? I think that that, that element when you're talking about this, like, okay, so I remember in like some of my um, formal, uh, like theological training, they talked about like this, this dude, Jonathan Edwards, like mm -hmm. Jonathan Edwards, the the guy, Jonathan Edwards, like the the sinners in the hands of angry God, like this, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, big, hugely influential American, hugely pastor. influential, yeah. like, you know, Protestant preacher. And during this time of the institution of slavery, like he was quoted to saying like, if, the savages and the Africans, knowing exactly what I mean by that, yeah, are in fact made in the image of God, like image bearers, as in that's what we what we believe humans are. You're made in the image of God. Yeah. Then we should be giving them the gospel. Yeah. And then but then he says, I'm just not sure they're humans. Like, and th you know what I'm saying? Like, this is y'all yeah. preacher. This is y'all, this is y'all dude. That's what I'm trying to say. Like a person who is- And that, yeah. Pat, like a well, leader, it, a pillar of the faith. In his, like it is, he's, because his brain, he's challenging science. I think they're humans. And I, I, I think this yeah. is where we get into when we talk about the morality of like, well, you can't judge people from the past by modern standards. Yeah. You can't judge people from the past for being raised with racist beliefs. You mm -hmm. can judge them for how they act on them. I, I think that's useful because like you cannot blame a man for like being raised in a bigoted society and mm -hmm. keeping a hold of some degree of those beliefs. But you can judge him on the degree to which he changes and overcomes some of it. Yes. Right. Yes. Like it's you know, I, I have older relatives who like will never be comfortable with with homosexuality because of the time they were raised in. But came uh -huh. around to the belief that like, yes, they should be allowed to marry. There shouldn't be legal prescriptions against them. That's wrong. Yes. And like, yes. Yeah, you were born in like the 30s, right? Like that's about as much as I can hope for, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that's kind of how you have to judge people, right? Like, yes, mm -hmm. you, you inherit some bad stuff, but like what do you actually do when you have the ability to make decisions? Mm -hmm. And and where do you go in your life? And like Lee never questions any of this and he yeah. never changes, you know? He mm -hmm. is a marble man and marble does not grow, you know? Good one, yeah. Yeah. 
Speaking of growing, you know who does grow and change over time? The sponsors of the show. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Bazam! We're back. Back so, in the building. Bazam! I really like yeah. that. You've never yeah, done that's that. A good that's one, my new, that's a my great... new catchphrase. I like uh-huh. it. Let's go with it. Bazam! Bazam, Bazam works, bro. Yeah. Bazam, Bazam is like really like it fits you. Very suiting. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So mm-hmm. Lee's gonna complain constantly about money throughout his life. You don't make mm-hmm. good money as an officer. He's always like, should I retire my commission and try to make a living some other way? I don't think he would have been good at that. But no. um, he thinks about it a lot. He's he's not ever really happy right and mm-hmm. in any of his situations his ambitions kind of outweigh most of what he's able to accomplish and you know he's away from home all the time he does not seem to have a strong desire to be around his family or to help him like his wife raise their children so he is like an mm-hmm. absent dad you know um mm-hmm. most of his letters are him like giving mary advice on raising children based on Probably not much actual knowledge about how yes. to raise kids. <laughs> well, you weren't raised. Because he is one. not there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Number one, you weren't raised. And then yeah. number two, you're not raising your own kids. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And this is not, you know, the t- military families today, you're going to deal with like your parent who's in the military pos- potentially being away for long periods yeah. of time on deployment. That is a reality still. Mm-hmm. But usually if they're not in a combat posting, families move around with their yeah. family members. That's sure. less of a thing here in part because of like... It's just not practical, you know, with with Mm -hmm. travel and the dangers of it being what they are at this time. 
1846, the Mexican-American War breaks out. And this is going to be Lee's big defining moment as a man. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is the conflict where most of the major military leaders in the U.S. Civil War will get their first combat experience. Mm -hmm. Lee at this point is an artillery officer, um, and he becomes a part of General Winfield Scott's inner circle. Winfield Scott is the commander of U.S. forces in this war. Lee is really good at this job. Um, And it's important to note he is really good at being an officer officer in charge of artillery, he is not commanding armies. That is not ever a thing he's going to be great at. Mm. He is managing sections of guns and the men who fire them. And a big part of his job is the army's marching. They're like, okay, we're going to try to bring them into battle here. And his job is analyzing the maps, scouting on you know horseback and whatnot, figuring out mm-hmm. where is the best place to put our cannons so that they'll have good fields of fire to hit mm-hmm. the enemy. You know, mm-hmm. And he's really good at this job. Uh, one of his first moments in the sun comes during the Battle of Cerro Gordo, where he leads a detachment of cannons through thick brush, bushwhacking their way into a position where they can fire down on the Mexican left flank and surprise the enemy. This gets him promoted to major, and his further exploits in the war earn him significant press attention. He becomes a war hero back home, not the biggest of the war, but one of the larger U.S. war heroes to like the, the U.S. population. Okay. The most spectacular moment of his career comes when he crosses with just a handful of men, a lava field at night to get uh, reinforcements for an upcoming action. General Scott describes this as the greatest feat of physical and moral courage performed by any individual, in my knowledge, pending the campaign. A lava field? Yeah, like dried lava, I think. Like, Oh, yeah, I was yeah. like, where? No, not, not hot <laughs> lava. Yeah. Um, also, I don't see where there's moral courage involved in that, but certainly no, physical it's... courage. He's, it, it's, it's, yeah. This Unless will, it's I, lava. Yeah, yeah, unless it's lava. I will say this earns Lee our slightly less coveted, pretty good at the Mexican-American war medal, which due to a printing error is also a gold medal that reads, I don't diddle kids. Um, Okay, got it. Sorry, sorry about that, guys. Both of them wound up being the same medal, but yeah. But you know what, though? Like he's in rarefied air here Mm -hmm. for for Bastards, man. Yeah, that's right. Two medals, two medals. So- Lee ends the war as a brevet colonel um, and is one of the most widely praised officers in the U.S. Army. After this point, there's buzz around the man, which does him less good than you might guess because he's going to spend the next stage of his career furious that he's not moving up faster to new ranks and better commands. Part of the reason for this is that the U.S., we don't really have a military in the modern sense. We have a tiny regular military. We have a lot of state militias, which are pretty useless, and we have a very small regular military. So there's not a lot of spots for officers and you can't move up until someone above you like quits or dies right yeah. so he's kind of frustrated that he's not really like getting he 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 feels like he's stuck in place right hmm. he's constantly wondering about quitting in 1852, he gets a promotion. He, he's made commandant of West Point, which he's not really excited about. He describes it as a snake pit, I think, due to its internal politics. Um, wow. His son, Custis, attends while he runs West Point and graduates first in his class. I'm sure there's no... <laughs> oh, he ran West Point for a while. Yeah, he runs it. He's the commandant of West Point for three years. Oh, that's years. what commandant means. Sorry. Yeah, I was, yeah. He's, yeah. he's the boss. Sorry, he's guys. the boss. Yeah. You know what that meant. He, yeah. It's like being the dean, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, there's a fun. Maybe you could do like a, a an Animal House style uh, movie about like <laughs> whatever the bad fraternity is. Yeah, and yeah. old Dean Robert E. Lee getting angry <laughs> at him for drinking. Yeah, we could we could make that work. Yeah. So uh, on the whole, his tenure there is as boring as most of the man's life uh, and is primarily of interest because his long association with the Academy is going to cause a lot of shit today. Right. Like mm. there's a bunch of debate over. And actually, this is interesting. One of the books that is a source for this is Me and Robert E. Lee, and it's written by a former U.S. Army officer who who taught at West Point and who they were trying to decide, should we have a memorial for Confederate troops? And specifically, they they wanted to put it in a building that's named after a Union officer whose personal stance was like, these people should never be part of the country again. Fuck them. They're traitors, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So this guy, the guy who wrote, writes the book is like, arguing basically to his colleagues, we should not honor Confederate veterans at West Point. They were traitors. They killed U.S. <laughs> soldiers. Yeah. Why are we honoring them? At a I U- don't get like, it. Yeah. These men are fucking traitors. Yeah. Um, and he he loses the fight. Uh, they decide to move ahead with the memorial until a, I'm not sure who it is, but it is a, a high-ranking black officer who's a graduate of West Point. I don't actually know. It might have been Powell. I don't know. But mm. someone leaks it to this this high-ranking black officer who's an alumni of West Point that like mm-hmm. they're about to put in a Confederate memorial and he is like the fuck you the are the fuck you are I <laughs> absolutely <love> it. <laughs> not and they have to like scrap the idea yes. which is good <laughs> yes he's like absolutely um, not no what are you talking about yeah <laughs> So by the late 1850s, Lee is stationed in Texas, uh, but he's back in Arlington with some regularity. He gets to see his family from time Mm -hmm. to time. Uh, And this accelerates after his father-in-law dies in 1857. Now, the Custis family at this point, somewhere between, I've heard 42 adults, I think is what Guelzo's biography says. Most sources will say there were almost 200 of them. I don't, a lot. He's got a lot of people that he's holding on Arlington, right? When he dies. Most of them are doing some amount of farming, right? But Mm -hmm. according to white people who were friends and relatives of the Custis family at the time, the enslaved people there didn't work hard enough, right? They're all bitching about that. Yeah. Now, old George Washington Park, who is is Robert E. Lee's wife's father, allegedly tells one friend in 1853 of his enslaved people. They have their comfortable homes, their families around them, and nothing to do but consult their own pleasure. Run of Robert's cousins complained to him that the enslaved people on Arlington were, quote, fonder of play than work. Which, like, you people are landed gentry. You don't do shit but play. Don't give me that. What are you talking about? You can't say anything about my work ethic. Yeah. You ever pulled something out of the ground, man? I'm going to guess not. Yeah. Um, You catch the vapors. Yeah. Now, we shouldn't, obviously, as we've said, we shouldn't take that seriously that these guys were not working hard. But it is true that the Custis properties are not profitable, right? By Mm -hmm. the time he dies and Mary inherits them, they are not making money. And this is a problem because, like, Mary's dad somewhat hilariously decides that the last thing he's going to do in life is going to be to fuck Robert E. Lee over. Um, and I, this kind of, he's a bad person, but I like this. What's oh, yes. it's, he really hates Lee's dad for like being so irresponsible. Yeah. And then when he dies, they found out he's been just as bad. They're in horrible debt. The property's not making any money. He like completely shat the bed on his finances. Oh, and in God. his will, he gives, he mm. gives Arlington the property to his oldest grandfather. 
grandson, right? Which is Mary's, Mary and Robert's, one of their kids. Yeah. Mary gets rights to reside at Arlington until she dies, but it is no longer their property. His other valuable properties go to their other kids, uh, and Robert E. Lee gets basically nothing. Like, he gets cut (laughs) out of the will. But old Custis still makes him the executor of the will. So his job is to hand out money to Custis's grandkids. Now, that's petty. That's, that is I like, petty. I love it. Oh, I love he's it. such a bitch. Hey, man. <laughs> and, hey, man. I just want to say, man, look, thank you for taking care of yeah. my daughter. <laughs> You've given me the most beautiful grandchildren. So here's what I'm going to do for you. I want you to be the one because this is how much you mean to me. I want you to be the one to tell everybody what they're getting. Mm-hmm. Here's yeah. the paper. And it's it's more <laughs> fucked up than <laughs> he that. Flipping through his shit. He flipping through the shit like, uh... Where, where my name at? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 Each of the grandkids is supposed to get $10,000, right? But he doesn't have any money. And so in his, in his, in his will, he's like, here's some properties. Sell these. I'm not willing these properties to anyone. Robert, sell them and use that to pay my grandkids 10 grand each. But- Custis is bad at everything, so he doesn't actually know. He like wildly overvalues these properties. Yeah. He doesn't get nearly enough money. So <laughs> Robert E. Lee, because he's this like big honor guy, is like, well, I can't just tell his grandkids that their grandfather was was dog shit with money and is yeah. fucking them. Um, I have to find a way to get them each ten thousand dollars, and the only way to do that is to force enslaved people to work for money, right? Yeah. Because obviously Robert E. Lee doesn't know how to make money, you know? No. He doesn't have any skills other than army shit. Yeah. So Lee had spent his whole life, part of why he is so obsessed with like paying, you know, executing this will that Mm -hmm. should not be his responsibility is that he is still smarting about his deadbeat dad. And the yeah. fact that his father-in-law is proven in death to have been another richocratic fail son doesn't diminish Lee's personal obsession with executing the will and returning the Custis family plantation to profitability. This becomes his obsession. And the problem comes in that we just noted Custis, you know, his father-in-law is kind of soft-hearted. That's what people yeah. say at the time towards his slaves. So he tells them all, when I die, you're free, right? Mm. So that's a problem because Lee has no ability to make up this money without the family slaves, right? Um, And this is, again, goes back to Custis being such a piece of shit. He is a deadbeat. So he promises, I think in part because like, a lot of these are his kids or his There's like that. people that he is, yeah. he considers his lovers. Obviously, that's not what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just feels bad. So he has to tell him like, when I die, you'll be free. You'll keep living this sweet life and then you'll be free when I do. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm really a good guy. You can trust mm-hmm. me. But he's a liar, right? He of does not he say you are all free as soon as I die. He directs that they be freed within five years of his death, right? Wow. But he tells them you're free when I die. Yeah, which is so, still true. Kinda. But what yeah. this means is that Lee is going to be like, all right, well, I've got five years to make as much money out of these people as I can before to, they're before they're yeah. free. Right. Yeah. Now, this causes a yeah. conflict because they were expecting to be free right, right away and they considered mm. themselves free. Moreover, part of the issue here is, again, their life at Arlington is more comfortable than most enslaved people's lives, right? Mm-hmm. They, they are not being like worked as hard or as brutally as, as is common mm-hmm. in the area, right? Mm-hmm. Again, I don't, I don't give any sort of credit to Custis for this, mm-hmm. but 
this is going to be relevant because Lee decides we don't need all of these people at Arlington to get it profitable. So I'm going to hire them out to other owners, right? Contract mm. them out to make money to pay Custis's grandkids. I'm going to force them to labor. I'm going to break up their families, wow. force them to live away from their children and wives for five years so yeah. that I can give our shiftless grandkids some money, right? Wow. That is fucked up. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, you you sell the you sell the brand for parts. Yeah. And it's yeah. like it's That's, it's it's you can make more money if I yeah. sell you for parts rather than try to work. It's del- Yeah, and this is how he writes about them. Among them is Reuben, a great rogue and rascal who I must get rid of some way, right? Oh like these guys are just such a problem. They don't want to work. I'm just going to have to sell them to somebody who'll beat the hell out of them, you know, for for 5 years so that I yeah, can, yeah, yeah. you know, make up the cash. So one of the things that's really horrible about this is Custis had let families stay together in Arlington, right? Mm-hmm. So after years of being used to, well, at least we have our families, right? Yeah. Lee just break. He doesn't give a fuck, right? Um, mm-hmm. Now, several of these people, when he hires them off, flee their new positions and return to Alexandria. It causes this like whole, because he's got to like discipline them now. It's this whole thing. And it causes yeah. a stir even within Virginia because- Within the gentry, their understanding, too, is that like, yeah, Custis wanted these people freed on his deathbed and Lee is still working them. So even a lot of white people are kind of disapproving of this, right? Like this is kind of a violation of a promise that had been made. And the soft disapproval of his fellow citizens was met with a burning rage by the enslaved workers at Arlington. And I'm going to quote from an article on the website American Heritage here. Believing they were entitled to their freedom and alarmed at the way Lee was breaking up their families by hiring the able-bodied far from Arlington, the slaves banded together and tried to overpower him physically, shouting that they were as free as he was. Angered by the slaves' defiance, Lee resorted to increasingly harsh measures to maintain control. And the first harsh measure he resorts to is forcing the men who'd attacked him into what are described as slave pens in the city of mm-hmm. Arlington. He locks them up in, in the city away from their families. And then he leases them off again. And this takes us to the reality of the marble man. Beneath his layers of politesse and this genteel Southern social obligation, he is as brutal a slave master as any, as soon yes. as his financial goals are threatened, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's what it is to him. It's, yeah. it's as simple as that. You, you started fucking with my money. Yeah, exactly. And now, now you really know what I think of you. Now the nice guy's gone. Yeah. Now, Alan Guelzo, who knows Lee better than me, describes Lee's reaction based on years of letters to family and friends as one of confusion as to like why these people are angry that he's forcing them to work and be away from their families. Quote, Lee could not comprehend why the demands he was making did not earn the understanding, even the cooperation of the Arlington slaves, but they didn't, and his frustration at their obstinacy boiled over in the spring of 1859, when three of the Arlington slaves, Wesley Norris, his sister Mary Norris, and their cousin George Parks, determined to run away. They made it as far as Westminster, Maryland, only a few miles from the free state border of Pennsylvania, when they were stopped and imprisoned. Two weeks later, they were shipped back to Arlington, where Lee had to pay the costs for their rendition. His fabled self-control, teetling unsteadily, Lee demanded of the three why they ran away. Because, they replied, frankly, we considered ourselves free. Now, that's a baller response. <sighs> yeah, like, um, because it's like, the the there's such an insidiousness in the sense that, like, like, fam, this ain't your plantation. Number mm-hmm. one, 
And number two, fool, you married in. That's mm-hmm. not even your father. Like, yeah. and the dude that we, who actually owned us, which we going to set aside for a second, that mm-hmm. that's a sentence that just came out of my mouth. Yeah. Has already freed us. What is you talk Like, you're not, you're not in charge. Who are you, bro? Who is this? Like that, yeah. like that would be even more insidious of like, you, you have no authority here. Yeah. What, what are, are you, you talking doing? about? Yes. Yeah. You are you are ruining our lives. Yes. To, so an old man who was a piece of shit will seem better to his grandkids who are also shiftless, lazy pieces of shit. Um, it's such an unfair situation. Bro, I like I like, can't I have I understand so much more now that like. Like privilege just makes you brittle. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's just the best because I'm like, what a brittle soul. Yeah. That like. How, why is this infuriating? They're not yours. Yeah. Like these, they're not yours. Yeah. And it gets worse because, yeah. and this is really what reveals the actual man behind the marble, right? One of these fugitive enslaved people later recalled, quote, he then told us he would teach us a lesson we would never forget. And he has all, both men stripped to the waist, and he orders his overseer to lash them each 50 times. Mary Norris, the only woman of the group, he orders to be lashed 20 times. Now, that's horrible without context, right? Yes. But I want to lend some. Whipping is a obviously very common punishment on, on many plantations, somewhere between 30 and 40 was normal mm. for an infraction, right? Yeah. So 50 is a big punishment. And you can tell how big it is by, so Lee, there's a white overseer whose job is to manage the enslaved people at Arlington, right? Mm-hmm. And Lee says, I want you to whip these men 50 times each. I want you to whip Mary 20 times. And the overseer says, no. He's like, I Damn. can't do it. Like, that's fucked up, man. I'm not going to do wow. it. Um, so again- and this guy's part of his job is whipping enslaved people. And he's like, no, this is fucked up. Like, wow. that's bad. That, when yeah, that guy won't it, do it, yeah. right? That's bad. So Lee has to hire, a, a, find a local cop, the guy who would capture the escapees, and is like, will you beat them for me? Right? Mm-hmm. That is how Lee claims this goes. Now, that may not have been exactly how it goes. It may be a lot mm-hmm. worse than that. More recent Lost Cause books love to emphasize Lee's distaste for slavery. And he says a lot of stuff about how he doesn't like slavery. But older texts from the middle of last century, including stuff written by his family, makes it clear that his dislike of slavery was what it revealed about his own inherent cruelty and moral cowardice. The 1969 book Meet Robert E. Lee stated, Lee knew slavery was wrong. He said it was bad for the slave and worse for the man who owned him. And that's not true. But also, I don't want to I don't want to disregard one of the meanings of that. Right. I disregard Mm -hmm. like obviously it's worse for the slave. Yeah. But what he's saying there when he says it's worse for the man who owns him, he is thinking about the evil in himself that he had to see because of what he does to these people. Right. The New York Tribune publishes an article about Lee's battery of his enslaved people, right? It is so bad that it makes the fucking news. And Mm. that article claims that Lee himself stripped Mary Norris and lashed her 39 times in a fit of rage. And crucially, Lee writes about this news article. He is aware of it. He never denies the allegation or lodges any protest against the paper. Mm. Never. So 
it does kind of seem like what happens and why he's like it's so bad for the slave owner is he loses his control, this like this granite reserve that he is so yeah. proud of, and he strips and beats a woman bloody. And he lives with that. That's the only thing really inside of him. This man who was such a mystery, everybody, that yeah. venal cruelty, the same kind of cruelty that exists in his father, that's the core of Robert E. Yeah. Lee. And you get to see it here. Yeah. You're titling on something that I feel like obviously doing, you know, postmortem psychology is never good. Mm -hmm. However, that point of like, that type of hate and prejudice, how it destroys the person inside of them is one of those grotesque things that like is not talked about enough in mm -hmm. discussing the pretzel that these people had to put themselves in to know that if you are calling yourself the civilized one to know what you're doing to, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to I'm going to stoop down to say in your brain, you still don't you're still saying these people are subhuman. Yeah. But still, even if they're subhuman, the things you are doing to this creature that's alive, you know, is you, there's no way like the again, the mental gymnastics you have to do to be able to look yourself in the face and and justify that has got to be haunting. Yeah. Because newsflash, you just as human as I am. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And um, so I think that, that that statement is not acknowledged enough. And rather than face what you think is unthinkable and preposterous and accept the fact that, like, I am participating in a deep evil and do the work to change, you double down. Yeah. I, I also wonder if part of what's happening here is that. You know, there's this always these claims that like, well, this is an, a divine racial hierarchy and really black yeah. people don't even want to be free. They're happier this way. And you can't keep telling yourself that lie when yeah. you see someone in a very intelligent and dignified way say, I am a free man. Yes. And as a result, you like when that kind of shatters that myth in your head. Yeah. All that's left is violence, right? That's it. Which puts a yes. lie to the fact that this is a divinely ordained system. I do think that's part of like part of why yeah. there's this rage and shame over it yes. for him. I do and think, I wanna, yeah. I, uh, uh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. One more thing. I do yeah. think, like you said, like that lie that you're telling yourself, part of me is like why I, again, rarely give, like I give historical context. I understand that like humans mm -hmm. in, in a time, but like I rarely give any quarters to a, to the argument that like, well, this is just what we did at the time. I'm like, nah, you knew. Mm -hmm. Y'all yeah. know what y'all doing. Yeah. Yeah. And this is that and moment for yes. Lee. Yes. And the moment that it is for all of us is ads. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Me.
Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. All right, we're back. So I want to stay with this moment, this beating, a little longer because this is a moment that the people who want to paint a picture of Lee as a moral paragon have to grapple with. And they they, they usually have to find some way to like minimize it, right? Yeah. And this, this goes on to this day. I want to read you a quote from an absolutely shameful Dallas Morning News article. And part of why this is fucking shameful, by the way, the Dallas Morning News has a proud pedigree. One of the things they did during the second Ku Klux Klan was like, have, have journalists basically tail people to Klan members, take down like license plates and shit like that and publish mm-hmm. lists of the members of town who were in the KKK. Like oh, that was some based that's, shit yeah, back dope. in the day. Yeah. And this is the crap they're doing now. This is from a 2017 article entitled oh. Robert E. Lee is the uniter America has been looking for. Okay, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> yeah. 2017. 2017. Uh, okay. Yeah. This makes me wish this was like a yeah. visual podcast. Oh, it's so we, you could have we'll, seen my face just then. Like, yeah, we'll refer back to this article a couple of times later, but it is shameful shit. And I want to read a quote from it now. This is published in the wake of Charlottesville, right? So they're like, "How do we get Americans okay. back together?" Okay, mm-hmm. in the wake of Charlottesville. Okay, in yeah. Dallas. Yeah. yeah, in Dallas, city of hate. Yeah. Yes. Lee himself, Virginia aristocrat as he was, was no slave taskmaster. He was a soldier of the United States. Just before the war, he received in trust from his late father-in-law's estate 196 slaves designated under terms of the will for emancipation, which objective, despite the distractions of command, Lee faithfully achieved at the end of 1862. A New York newspaper report from the same time period accusing Lee of stripping and personally beating a woman runaway slave deserved the same credence as might tale of Barack Obama's endowing the Richard B. Spencer chair of Confederate history at Yale. Fake news. Like, what? Why are you calling it fake news? Is there any evidence that it's fake? Oh, no, there's not. He was aware of it and didn't argue against it, didn't say shit against it, and in fact, ordered those slaves objectively. We know this. Yes. No doubt about it. Ordered them beaten brutally in order to make money for his grandkids. Not a slave taskmaster, my fucking ass. Like, the amount of things that were within the two first two sentences that were Factually, yeah, verifiably false. The mm-hmm. the first two things out your mouth, yeah, in that's a vile thing to say. Again, maybe we should consider bringing back stoning for certain things. Come you on, know? fam, thank you. Yeah. And what's the basis? Like this deserves this whole like. What's the why bring this up? 
Yeah, because like how, he's like, how is this help in Charlottesville? Like, tell me, tell me your math. What's the calculus? His Why do you think this will help? Is that in the wake of the Civil War, Lee was a really big uniter. He wanted everyone to move on, to get past this ugly chapter, and that we shouldn't tear down his statue. We should celebrate him as a guy who preached unity. Uh, I don't know. You tell what me. else did he fucking do? Like, yeah, <laughs> and I like where your editor at when your yeah. first sentence says he was a soldier of the United States. Mm-hmm. He was not. No, no. He was a <laughs> he traitor. Was, he was on the other side. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. understand what, like, what? what? Yeah. yeah. There's this meme that goes around and it's like anarchists in every other period of American history. And they're like burning an American flag. And then it's anarchists from 1861 to 65. And you're like, <laughs> you've got like the union flag you're doing in a blue uniform saluting. Like that yeah. is... I do not consider Lee's fucking uh, like like he is not a, a uniter of the America I want to be all. a part of. I want to be all. a part of the America that fucking lit the South on fire to yes. end that system. Right. Yes. Like Facts. that's 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 where I want to be. That right? was like, all right, this is some bullshit. We're yeah. done. Yeah, we're done. OK. Yeah. yeah. Mm hmm. So the next chapter of Lee's career and life was to involve a man who was his opposite in every way and whose very existence was dedicated towards dissolving the foundations of Robert E. Lee's existence. His name was John Brown, and I think we are all broadly aware of what he did. Yeah. 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 To provide a quick summary, John Brown was a professional militant abolitionist. He had fought bloody battles in Kansas to free enslaved people, and he was basically a living boogeyman to pro-slavery types. From October 16th to 18th, 1859, he and a band of hand-picked guerrillas launched a raid on Harper's Ferry to try and secure weapons from the garrison there that they could use to arm enslaved people and launch a rebellion that would carve out an independent fortress of freedom lodged right in the heart of the Old South. It did not work. Not a successful operation, unfortunately, yeah. uh, but a noble attempt. I mean, it in the long run, it helps start the war that ends slavery. So it, it I won't call it a failure. It's just like not immediately tactically successful, right? Yeah. Um, and Robert E. Lee is the man who commands the U.S. military forces sent in to quell the uprising and kill or capture John Brown. This they did. And while the job is odious, Lee is like, he, he handles this in like a competent way, right? He's not particularly brutal. He does the job, you know? Yeah. Um, that's the kind of guy he is. Brown is wounded when the army storms his position. And this excerpt from the book Clouds of Glory by Michael Corda describes the first interaction between Lee and Brown. Lee had him carried to the office of the paymaster of the armory, where Brown soon recovered enough strength to hold what would now be called a celebrity press conference, combined with some of the attributes of a royal audience. Lee courteously offered to clear the room of visitors if their presence annoyed or pained Brown, who, though in considerable pain, replied that he was glad to make himself and his motives clearly understood. Now, one of the fun asides of the John Brown story is that all of the men involved in capturing him are like can't help how impressed they are with him. They're the like, yeah, I was like, gonna say yeah. they're like, this nigga's hard. Like, yeah, they like, really like him. Yeah. They all think he's insane, but they're like, this man is incredibly physically courageous. He is yeah. well spoken. He knows exactly what he's doing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he gives a three hour press conference after being stabbed through the kidney. Um <laughs> the governor, gee. the governor of Virginia, who's there in the aftermath, calls John Brown the gamest man I ever saw. Like, <laughs> motherfucker's down, you know. Like, like you yeah, gotta give him credit. Yeah. yeah. Like, nah, he's, yeah, he, he's staying on business over there, dog. Yeah. 
I think you have to, because like he is, he doesn't even break composure when his son is killed in the fight. Yeah. And I think it's because Brown, there is not a doubt in his mind that God is real. There is not a doubt in his mind yeah. that heaven is real. And there's not a doubt in his mind that the only thing that matters is fighting to end slavery. And yeah. if his son died to do that, my kid's going to be fine. And so am I. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Like we're going, we're going to paradise. We yeah. did what we were supposed when to do. You know, you're right. Yeah. Like, like, and, and, and yeah. it's very rare in the world in the, in time mm-hmm. memoriam, can someone definitively be like, yeah, no, we're right. Yeah. Absolute <laughs> you know moral like, clarity. We are absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Now Lee is present for the whole conversation that ensued between Brown, Senator Mason, Lee's man, Jeb Stewart, and the governor. Quote, when Senator Mason asked him how he could justify his acts, Brown replied, I think, my friend, you are guilty of a great wrong against God and humanity. I say it without wishing to be offensive, and it would be perfectly right in anyone to interfere with you so far as to free those you willfully and wickedly hold this in bondage. I do not say this insultingly. Like, no offense, but like you are you are willingly participating in the greatest evil of our time. Respectfully. Anything anyone does to stop you is justified. Yes. Yes. Look, respectfully, like respectfully, no shade, like respectfully, Mm -hmm. you're the fucking devil. Yeah. And you're doing the work of Satan. Yeah. Respectfully. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I I mean nothing impolite here, but God will damn you for your actions. (laughs) No disrespect, but you work for Um, Satan. Yeah, it's yeah. it's cool. When uh when Mason cuz Mason's like, did you pay these men who fought with you? Did you have to like are they mercenaries? Brown replies, "No." Like, fuck that. And Jeb Stewart remarks on this, uh, "The wages of sin is death." And Brown turns to him and says, "I would not have made such a remark to you if you had been a prisoner and wounded in my hands." Damn. Like such a such a G. For his part, Lee, again, he has this kind of basic respect for Brown's personal courage, but he thinks he's insane. Yeah. Um, He he thinks because the plot was so doomed to failure, it means the abolitionist was either a fanatic or a madman. And, you know, Brown is both a fanatic and... If if being a madman means acting in ways that are completely inconsistent with logic of your culture, he is crazy. Yeah. But I think he's the kind of crazy that was necessary, right? A good crazy. The, yes. The abolitionists who weren't madmen lived comfortably in the North and would like tut tut to their friends when they read Absolutely. articles about Lee stripping and whipping young enslaved women, right? Yeah. John Brown picked up a rifle. Um, yeah. Yeah. They shake your head just like, God, it's so terrible yeah. what they're doing over there. Yeah. He's like, is it? Yeah. But well, we on our way. And that that's why you get from Harriet Tubman and like being like, yeah, he was the fucking best. Like, yeah, yeah. He, was, he was the coolest dude. Yeah. yeah everybody co-signed him. Everybody co-signed him. Like, nah, mm-hmm. he's nah, he was a writer. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorites, I, I think it was Huey P. Newton, who was like, the only white man we might have let into the Black Panthers was John Brown. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. Oh, Maybe man. him. Yeah. He's like, nah, but that, mm. yeah, fuck all of y'all. But yeah. That Maybe dude's that dope. I kind of like that dude. Yeah, yeah man. Obviously, a dope part of the history is just like these like rays of light in the middle of just yeah. chaos. But like, I think, you know, situated culturally, it's like I'm anytime I'm ever talking about this time in the world, like obviously because it's so personal to me. But like I always want to like remind people that we are still talking about the enslavement, a chattel, mm-hmm. a, a type of scourge that hadn't been yeah. we hadn't seen before on the planet, like how d- remarkably evil this is. And at the same time that those that were disgusted by it are just as 
normal as we are now about yeah. the things that we're disgusted by that will, if there was a social media, they would tweet about it. They would follow yeah. hashtags. They would do all those things too. But, um, and then and then be looking to the government to be like, why aren't y'all doing something about it? So it reminds me, I think of like, I, I my brain goes to like the Dred Scott case where like, mm. I don't need to teach you of this, but like uh, the for the for the listener who clearly is the other 80,000 people that are we're talking to right now is this idea of like you have the Missouri Compromise, which was like for every free state, there's a slave state. If you're going to get a new one in the union, you got to get a new one on mm -hmm. this side, too. Like there would this was their way of trying to like placate before we actually went to war. So a dude. So a dude gets free. He like escapes his plantation, goes north, you know signs up to be a citizen in a northern state and is living his life, right? And now he's like, I'm in a free state. This mm -hmm. is, that's what y'all said. This is what y'all said y'all was going to do. I'm a free man. I got up here. I'm good. Mm -hmm. And then the slave hunter goes and finds him bring, and, and attempts to bring him back to his plantation to enslave him again. And he's like, wait, 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 hold up. Like mm -hmm. looking at this, all y'all states rights people looking at the state like, fam, you're, why are you letting this other state the other state is usurping your authority. You're saying that I'm a free man, like I'm a citizen here. Why are you letting them do that? Goes all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court's like, ah, yeah, you're right. Like, you still kind of belong to your plantation. And it's like, well, yeah. so at this point, you're like, well, I can't trust the Supreme Court to do anything about this shit. You know what I'm saying? Because clearly, when it was a choice between two states, right? You chose the rights of the slave state. So to yeah. me, I'm like, you could be nice. Like you said, you could be nice and like tisk tisk, like, you know, what's going on. Or you could be like John Brown. It's like, fuck this. I can't trust y'all to do any of this shit. So we just, it's getting down. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And it's, I, I, I want to, you know, when we talk about like the particular evil of slavery in the Americas, um, I think a really good point to look back on is slavery in the Roman Empire. Rome was a slave empire. Yeah, they're, they're heavily slave ass they, And they, they worked yes. generations to death in mines. Yeah. And yet, if you get freed, there was no lingering shame. There was no caste system. Your kid, you got most of the rights of a citizen and your kids were yeah. just normal citizens. And that is why, despite you might have generations of specific people get enslaved, once they got free, there was no lingering stigma. There was, was no it? lingering apartheid. Yeah. Like, yeah, you were like, the Romans were just like, no, slavery is a political condition. We beat you in a war. We get to yeah. enslave a bunch of you, yeah. right? But once you're, you're still people. We don't think you're less human. Yeah, yeah. We just won, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. own your kids. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, you often did own their kids, but like what your kid, if your kids get free, yeah. they're not lower quality people. Yeah. We don't, yeah. we don't think there's a racial hierarchy. Yeah. We just won a war. And so yeah, we're going to be shit yeah. to you. Right. Yeah. Which is like, that's still a bad thing, still but it sucks, is so different from yes. how it worked here. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway. So, Lee had been sent on special duty to crush John Brown's uprising. And after it, it gets done, he goes back home to keep unfucking his father-in-law's finances. But he gets sent back to Harper's Ferry a few days later to defend it from... There's this, like, 
it's kind of like these fears you had in 2020 that like Antifa's starting fires. Like he's got hundreds of allies. They're hiding in the woods. They're going to mm. come free him. Lee is like not a dummy. He knows that, nah, that's probably not going to happen. But yeah. he, he does his job. He, he manages a defense. They execute John Brown and Lee soon returns to his command down in Texas. Um, he does not seem to have considered the incident to have been hugely significant at the time. But of course, it would have an enormous impact on the rest of his life. In the days and weeks after the the execution. Brown became a hero to abolitionists across the North and a demon, the physical embodiment with growing Southern unease at the political fight over slavery. Guelzo's book contains a good summary of headlines in the wake of the raid. The Southern people have heretofore disregarded the ravings of Northern fanatics because they believed that such madness to be merely of pecuniary speculation, wailed the Richmond Inquirer. But Harper's Ferry shows that the Northern people mean more than words. How long will it be, the Inquirer asked, before the abolition, fan abolition fanatics of Cincinnati may seize Newport in Kentucky? For the moment, the aid of the federal government was near Harper's Ferry and was in hands faithful to the Constitution, but another year may place that in the hands of our assailants and and urge on and strengthen the hands that murder our families and pillage our property. So they start freaking out about this. Yeah. But at least for a while, life goes on. One of the last duties Lee is going to execute for the U.S. Army before the Civil War starts is a very mild insurgency against a Mexican man named Juan Cortina. Juan was a former Mexican Army officer who owned a ranch near Brownsville. He had properties on both sides of the Rio Grande, and as settlers are coming in and displacing Mexicans who would live there often for generations, mm -hmm. um, a lot of these settlers are like con men, right? They're, they're basically cooking up fake legal documents to claim they own this property and like yeah. forcing families off. It's really fucked up. Cortina calls these guys flocks of vampires, and he is entirely accurate in that. Yeah. In July 1859, Cortina acts to stop an American police officer from arresting a Mexican man. He winds up shooting the sheriff, <laughs> evading a posse, and then forming his own band of insurgents and returning to Brownsville with a list of white lawyers to kill. And he gets Let's five go. of them. He's fucking Let's cool. Go. This guy's dope. <laughs> he then flees back to Mexico and this blows up into a series of raids, right? And Lee is mm. sent to stop him. And they, they kind of have a back and forth because every time he'll cross the Rio Grande, Lee is not allowed to follow across the Rio Grande into Mexican territory. Mm -hmm. And Cortina winds up like eventually, Lee never catches him. Cortina winds up like France tries to take over Mexico and they install yeah. a Habsburg emperor. So he yeah. has to deal with that, right? Yeah. Um, it doesn't end well, but it ends the Cortina problem for the US. And for his part, Lee writes to his family about Cortina and says, you know, I am a great advocate of people staying at home and minding their own affairs. <laughs> <laughs> Were you? Were you, really? Robert E. Lee? <laughs> really? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't think that's true. I don't think so, that's true. I think that that man just outsmarted yeah, you. Yeah, that's what absolutely. I think. Yeah, that uh, is hilarious. Yeah. That dude was like running up. <laughs> Look, <laughs> yeah, he ran up in America and was like, oop, can't catch me. Came back. Uh -huh. <laughs> Fun guy. So back oh, in Texas, Lee encountered a rising tide of secessionist sentiment from the Texans around him. Their hostility to the federal government and even to U.S. Army troops was palpable. The situation grew worse by the day, and Lee found himself 
is sort of in a peculiar and alienated mindset. If you want to imagine what the kind of man Lee was would be doing today in 2024, it's helpful to know that he was his era's equivalent of a centrist, at least in terms mm. of how he expressed his beliefs. Mm. I don't think he was in his heart really a centrist. He was much yeah. more yeah, uh, he was a dedicated slave owner, but in terms of how he talked about things, yeah. he, that is how he liked to portray himself. Michael Corda describes this well. He was appalled at Southerners' talk about the renewal of the slave trade, to which he was opposed on every ground, and his experience of dealing with his father-in-law's slaves had further soured his view of slavery as an institution. He regarded secession as revolution, dismissed it as silly, and could anticipate no greater calamity for our country than a dissolution of our union. Now, it's tempting to look at the decisions he makes later and just say, well, he was lying about that. He was pretending he didn't care about secession and slavery, but we know that he really did care about slavery enough to fight for it. I think that that's not entirely the right way to look at it, right? Mm -hmm. You have to understand, counter to a lot of casual history you hear, that Robert E. Lee did not particularly identify as a Southerner, right? Yeah. Part of why he doesn't want a civil war is that he doesn't really consider himself. He considers himself he's a cosmopolitan guy. He's an yeah. American in general. And this goes totally against the lost cause stuff, right? The popular yeah. narrative is he's he hates Southern the idea of secession, but he loves Virginia too much. He just can't. He just can't fight against it. It's yeah. it's his heart. It's the entirety of his being. It's not. Lee spends no. very little of his adult life in Virginia, let alone Arlington. He lives in the North for considerable periods of time and then out in the West, in Mexico and in Texas. Yeah. He is a citizen of the United States and throughout most of his life, his letters give very little sign of a man who holds specific affection for Virginia. In fact, he puts a lot of time and effort into avoiding being at home. This is in spite of the fact that his army career seems to have petered out, right? He's like, yeah. I'm not going to get promoted as much as I want. I should quit. I'm old enough to retire. I should do something else with my life. And he refuses to do so, despite complaining about it. He refuses to go and enjoy life back mm. in his supposedly beloved Arlington. And I'm going to read a really telling quote from Robert E. Lee, a life here. He could have taken the course of resignation from the army, but that would only land him back at Arlington. And even as he received letters from Annie extolling the trees and hills at Arlington, he gently pushed away at any suggestion that he might return there for good. I do not think my presence would add anything to their appearance, he replied, in a peculiar mix of pity and self-regret. It is better that I am away. When Annie pressed the suggestion again in August, he calmly but firmly told her that it would be far easier if you will come out here. I will endeavor to make you as comfortable as possible. I have a nice little pony on which you can accompany me in my evening rides and a commodious traveling wagon that can carry you wherever I go. I have a there nice was... little pony. <laughs> yeah. I love it. There it was... sounds... Yeah. Yeah. He sounds like a dude that like he just wants to go back to brunch. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, can we just brunch? But and like, not to Arlington. Yeah, and yeah. he like, in Virginia, get on my nerves. Like, like, y'all yeah. just get on my nerves. Yeah. He's I, like, but like, yeah. He's literally yeah. like, I'll send you an Uber comfort. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'll send you come here, I'll send you an Uber. Just, I'll, I'll pay yeah. for it. I'll send you an Uber. I think, the, but... I want to use that that line because that was some that was some high level shade. Mm -hmm. She's talking about how beautiful the trees are, mm -hmm. and he's like, "Well, I ain't gonna make them any more beautiful." Yeah, yeah it's gonna be prettier than me. Hilarious. Then. Yeah, I, I want to continue the last bit of that quote. Yeah. There was no point in his returning to Arlington. He was and always would be a stranger there. You know, I am much in the way of everybody, and my tastes and pursuits did not coincide with the rest of the household, and certainly not with the Arlington slaves. Now I hope everybody is happier. 
Now, that doesn't strike me as a man who loves his home so much he'd break yeah. his oath and turn traitor to defend it in a cause he otherwise abhorred, right? Yeah, no, so, exactly. He's like, yeah. really, y'all get on my nerves. That's the, yeah. I, like, that is a, that is, I tr- people truly contain multitudes mm-hmm. and, but the idea that he was just like, really, I don't even, I'm not even from Virginia. I don't really like y'all. Uh, I just got stationed here. Texas got better weather. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I can get a taco down here. Why don't you just come down here? Why should, <laughs> yeah. Like, we yeah. chilling, man. Like, that's hilarious to me. I ain't going to make the trees no more beautiful if they already yeah. be on. Need me to make them beautiful. You yeah. just said. That's hilarious. Arlington's not really my place. Yeah. Yeah. And that is... Anyway, we're going to talk more about why Lee decides to fight for the Confederacy and how he makes that decision. That's going to be a big part of part three. And then Mm -hmm. we will deal with the myth and the fact of Bobby Lee as a great general. But prop for right Mm -hmm. now, we're going to deal with the myth and the fact of you as Mm -hmm. a podcaster and musician. Where can people find you? Man, ProfitPop.com is my everything. It's music. I got some new music out. We got music going along with the podcast. Last song was called Let Me Holla At Your Player. And um, yeah, Hood Politics with Prop, season three up and running. There's so much going down. We've like really like, like I said last time, kicked it into like fourth gear, you know, putting together like a bunch of different series. There's the You Wasn't Outside series that's, that's following the Israel and Gaza situation then we got series following the election it's a good time man and as good as it can be um but yeah hood politics with prop uh every every wednesday get ready for the wednesday drop you know what i'm saying and um i got a book called terraform uh it's a poetry book mm-hmm. um there's music to go along with that too and uh i'm very happy to mm-hmm. be here yeah I also have a book. It's called After the Revolution. Check it out. You can order it wherever books are sold. Or you can just Google AK Press After the Revolution and buy it directly from Zip Publisher. That is the episode. Come back next week when we will conclude the exciting story of Bobby Lee. I like that you're calling him Bobby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. the uh, the rough draft uh, title, the the working title for this episode was Bobby Lee, the guarantee, and then parentheses of failure. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest second place trophy mm-hmm. of all time. Yeah. yeah. All right, everybody. Behind the Bastards is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com. Or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.